listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with Peter Barracchini, and we'll be joined shortly by Alex Hobson. Uh, episode 89, so we're closing on that century mark. Uh, crazy, I think we've been doing this for two years, but uh, mm-hmm. before we get to some hockey talk, Peter, how's your week been, buddy? I just find it coincidentally that this is episode 89, and Alexander Mogilny was 89, and he didn't get into the Hall of Fame, so that's a very coincidental timing for this episode, but I digress. Um, week has been good, you know, so pumping out the draft content. Um, you know, we just hit 170 profiles. So big shout out to the draft team. That obviously you and Alex are a part of, so big shout out to you guys and everyone else for putting in the effort with the draft content. And you know what, in my downtime, you know, obviously I watch, you know, Netflix. I got, I, I got into stranger things, rewatch that again, because, new season's coming out. So I got to prep myself and make sure I'm back in line with that. And even just relaxing, playing some super smash bros and yeah, you know, set some time off to regroup and you know, the grind's kicking up next week again with the actual NHL draft. So that's been my week. How about you, man? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's been a crazy week. I think, I think worldwide has been a crazy week. If anybody's been tuning into the news, it's kind of the most depressing stuff that you can watch on TV. So I'm glad you brought up Netflix though, because you and Alex are the are the music the music gurus on 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 this podcast. I I, I dabble. I dabble. I wouldn't say guru, but yeah, you know you know we, your we stuff. know we, we know, know your stuff. stuff. We know our yeah. stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I dabble. I dabble in music, but I'm a documentary guy. And and mm-hmm. you and I have talked about documentaries nonstop yeah. since this show started. Yeah. Um, I have to now. Th- I, I'm not going to recommend this one because it's it's a pretty fucked up do- documentary, but. It's, it's definitely one that if like you're interested in like the true crime and psychology of, of some of the, the weirdos out there, um, mm. our father was one that I watched uh, yesterday um, and it was about uh, Dr. Klein down in the States. He's a insemination doctor who inseminated women oh, with uh, yeah. his own, his own juice. Um, and uh, man, like, I'm telling you, like, what a what a like what a fucking sicko this guy was. <laughs> like, here's here's Man. families going to trust people, like to 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 get them a child, and the at the end of it, it was kind of giving you those, you know, how docs are they kind of give you those like quick facts on like what, update on the on the situation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, ninety three siblings they were up to, ninety three siblings, ninety three women that he had he had uh, inseminated. Uh, with his his stuff and um all started with one with one woman who logged on to like either one of those either ancestry or 23 and me mm-hmm. or one of those things and uh it uh yeah it's it's amazing it, the craziest part i found though was at the very end when they said like there is no federal law right now in the u.s that says doctors cannot inseminate these women without their knowing that it's it's the doctor that's doing it there's no federal law. And only because of this in the state that it took place, is there now a recommendation that doctors who inseminate women do not do it with their own concoction, let's call it. So anyways, just goes to show you how fucked up they are. So the border, like Jesus Christ. Um, so they won't have a law for that, but they'll, you know, impose a law on like, abortion and control women's bodies oh don't like uh, uh, my i don't even want to get into that conversation because yeah there's a whole nother there's a whole nother war going on oh, there God, between yeah. religion and, and state and and how that like that's that's complete bullshit but um yeah i mean my, it, like i said my, i'm i wouldn't recommend it unless you're like you're interested in the psych- psychology behind yeah. it because this guy's reasoning is just like, That's it, messed it, t- up. it ties back into this whole, like this whole thing of Christianity and the state and, and how it affects, like how, how they're trying to drive a certain expectation or a certain 
um, belief of what they want to, to, to grow the world with. Right. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's about, it, it's, it's a couple hours, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you got nothing to watch and you're interested in that, that psychology part of it, definitely give it a, give it a look. Cause it's, it's informative. It's surprising. It's shocking. It's disgusting. Um, but uh, yeah, Dr. Klein, as far as I know, from what I understand, did not serve any jail time. None. Zero. In fact, in his court case, got a recommendation by one of the one of the prosecutors within the state, one of the top prosecutors in the state, gave a sent a recommendation letter to the judge that was overseeing his his case, and that was part of what got him off. So, um, and no, no pun intended. <laughs> oh my God, uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, you could come up with so many jokes as a result of that. I mean, there's just one right there, but um, yeah. That's just that's that's absolutely like obviously the audience won't see my reaction, but I'm just like, what the fuck? And I never yeah. swear, and that's a big WTF moment for me. That is just absolutely insane. And here I am watching Stranger Things. Yeah, so, I mean, I might I might have to switch away from docs for a little while because that would <laughs> that one blew my mind. Wow. It just, it, it does wow. bring me to a question that I have for you. And I, you know, I'll have to throw this at Alex at some point too, because um I, it's an etiquette question. And this is something else that I experienced this week that kind of threw me for a whirl was um, I was going through the Starbucks drive-thru, um, you know, getting my, getting my iced caramel macchiato that I norm- normally do, you know, oh. all, all bougie and shit. And then there you go. I, I come around the corner and sitting on the patio at Starbucks is this guy with his legs up, shirt off, tanning, having a coffee. So, my question is, and perfect, Alex is Alex is oh hopping God. on. Alex, right at the Alex time. you're coming in at the perfect time. Man. So uh, I'll wait till he connects here, and then we'll we'll kind of get going <laughs> here. But I'll throw it to you first, real quick. My question to you: We're not talking about a full fledged sit down restaurant. We're talking about a Starbucks. But what's the etiquette when it comes to taking your shirt off when you're sitting at a Starbucks having a coffee? No shirt, no shoes, no service. As in any restaurant or, you know, Tim Hortons or any, any place that you get food. Because that's just absolutely disgusting, no? Well, yeah. and, and, and I mean, that, I guess, let, let me guess. This guy complained about it, right? I, I don't even know. I This was just oh. an observation. I literally had I, – I, I was driving by. I saw it, and I was like, ah, I wouldn't want to sit on that patio. I wouldn't. But, I, I mean, like if you walked 10 steps and went and sat by the sidewalk and, and that, that happened, like, you know, it is what it is. But when you're sitting on the patio of, of a place like that, um, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. So we welcome Alex here to the show. And, and Alex, Hello. we're just kind of talking about first, we talked about one of the most disgusting documentaries I've ever seen on Netflix, yep. <laughs> um, Our Father. So I'll let you uh, let you kind of watch that on your own if you want. I, I don't want to go through it with our audience again because uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you really made a great case for me to go and watch that on my own time. The only thing you're saying is that it's just an absolutely disgusting documentary. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it really it's, is. It's pretty fucked up. But I was just asking to kind of sum up my week. I was asking Peter. I drove. Uh, I was going through the Starbucks drive-through. Drove past the patio at at the Starbucks, the outdoor patio, and saw this guy with his legs up, shirt off, drinking his coffee. And my question was, what's the etiquette when you're sitting at, like, say, a coffee shop, no shirt, drinking your coffee? Um, I'm, I mean, I, honestly, I don't think there are too, too many restaurants out there where I would take my shirt off to begin with. So <laughs> I think in that sense that my my answer might be a little biased, but I'd say, yeah, it's kind of weird. If you're at a Starbucks with your shirt off, drinking a coffee, that seems, I mean, truth be told, I'm from Kitchener, so I wouldn't be entirely out of the question to see, but... <laughs> I mean, I think for the app, for your average Joe, I, I think that's a pretty weird thing to do. I think the only places where you can really get away with not wearing a shirt in a restaurant is if you're at like some beachside patio. And even then it's a little, it's a little bit, yeah. it's a little bit of a stingy topic. So I don't know. I was yeah, about to I say, was, if you're at a fancy resort and like the Seychelles and they got a Starbucks on the beach and you go in shirtless on absolutely, the beach absolutely. and you're I think, kicking I think, back with a cold yeah. beverage, fine, whatever. It's a beach or whatever resort. I can understand that, but this is out in public in a major city. But Dundas Street in London, Ontario is not the place to do it. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely um, not. Anyways, uh, 
Alex, we're we're kind of finishing up our our intro here. How's that? How's your week been, buddy? Uh my week's been good. I haven't really done too much. I'm sort of enjoying the last little shred of you know days off that I have before I start back up on my summer job. And you know, obviously, my I, I'm going to be doing some. I've got a bit of a side hustle going as well, and then potentially some extra hockey coverage into the into the fall. So that's going to be. Uh, my life's about to get real busy. So I've just been kind of enjoying the, my last couple of days where I don't have anything to do. And I'm not going to lie. I've taken full advantage. I've been an absolute lazy piece of shit for the past couple of days, <laughs> but you know, Nothing it's, wrong it, with it's that. Been, no man. I, I, I was literally just watching baseball all day today. They had the Yankees and the, uh, and the athletics on at one o'clock on Sportsnet, And then now, obviously I was, I was late. Cause I was watching the Jays game. Couldn't, they couldn't get it done in the bottom of the night. They had two runners on or sorry, just one runner on, but would have been the winning run and they uh, couldn't walk it off. So I'm currently watching them uh, in extra innings on my phone and their uh, base is loaded in the top of the 10th for Boston. So I'm not liking how this is looking right now. No outs. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's more or less how my week's been. <laughs> that's, I don't really have anything else to add, man. You got to take advantage of that kind of stuff. You got to take advantage of those yeah. days off and, and every day and off right before you get into the grind. So um, yeah, it's, it's good to hear. Um, and uh, I, I did mention to Peter, well, We'll kind of run through this show pretty quickly again tonight uh, as we as we're closing in on the end of uh, season two of Sticks in the Six here. Um, but uh, yeah, with that, guys, let's get into let's get into some hockey talk. And obviously, I mean, we got a little bit of leaf talk, but we'll we'll kind of we'll kind of weave that in and out of here. I think we we better start off the show with with the Colorado Avalanche and and winning the cup and then grinding it out against the two time Stanley cup champion, uh, Tampa Bay lightning back to back. Um, couldn't get it done. Corey Perry starts his own personal streak of three straight Stanley cup finals that he, uh, he lost in. I think, uh, he now beats, uh, Marion Hosa for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just some, some injuries that are coming out after afterwards. And, and, uh, you know, both teams seem to be pretty banged up, but, uh, Biggest moment, I think, was Nazem Kadri raising that cup and and basically mm-hmm. telling every critic he ever had to kiss his ass. Um, thoughts on that, Peter? Thoughts on the game? Thoughts on the series? Um, I, I mean, absolutely entertaining series. Uh, if it ended in like four or five games, I don't think it would be that great. But the fact that it went to six says a lot about both teams. I mean, I mean, you can start to see Tampa Bay whittle away and kind of you know, feel that fatigue factor. And even Andre Vasilevsky in the first two games, it really wasn't Andre Vasilevsky until, you know, games three and four, where you saw him shine like he did against the Maple Leafs. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that it, it was the series that we wanted in like 2019, 2020 in that bubble when we were hoping it would be Colorado, Tampa Bay, and it wasn't, it was Tampa Bay, Dallas, but we got our money's worth. I mean, it was, it was high flying. It had a lot of drama, a lot of intensity, and that's what you want in a cup final. You don't want it boring, you know, kind of what it was last year. And the fact that, um, you know, Kill McCarr was an absolute beast and Nathan McKinnon showed up when he was supposed to in a key moment in game six, Arturi Lekkinen, you know, clutch goal again in Nazem Kadri, especially in game three. Was that the game four? Game four. Game four, yeah with that slick backhand. And I, I didn't even know if that puck was in or not. I thought Andre Vasilevsky made the save and I'm like, Oh my God, he actually scored that. That was absolutely insane. So yeah. And also to Kadri winning the cup too. I mean, yeah, it, it stings because you want to see him win it with the Maple Leafs, but he had to get traded because of the history. And even then he got suspended in Colorado um, right after that trade. So for him to raise the cup and, you know, not necessarily take a jab at everyone but like the critics that have kept on saying that he was a liability and he kind of was because he got suspended three straight playoffs i mean that that kind of is a liability but the fact that he was able to turn his game around get in the right mindset and with the coach uh, that he had in jared benar i think that actually helped him out very well because he had a career year going into free agency won the cup and now he commands his future he could command top dollars right now so shout out to him big congratulations because i've been a huge nazim kadri fan again when i interned at the hockey news he was the first player i ever talked to great guy off the ice 
you know, may have, you know, not necessarily an attitude, but like, you know, the temper on the ice, the emotion rises with him because he's very competitive, but off the ice, he's a very nice guy. And I can't be happy enough for him right now because he absolutely deserved it. And to see his name on the cup, obviously when a former Maple Leaf wins it, yeah, everyone's going to, you know, chirp us. But at the same time, we're happy. I mean, I'm happy for him. So yeah, really, really excited for that opportunity for him. And, you know, gets to bring the cup back to Ontario. So that's a big, big thing for him. Really, really, again, I, I, I'm going to be repeating myself, but I'm absolutely ecstatic for him. Yeah, Peter, I'm, I guess you're lining up in that line to kiss his ass. Cause, uh, calling him a liability, but, uh, you know, I think we're all, we're all in agreement that, uh, you know, it, it had it was, to happen. It had to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of talked about that a little bit with Mike, uh, last week. Um, but, uh, Alex, I mean, Kale McCarr, uh, Hobie Baker winner, Calder, Calder trophy winner. Um, you know, he's had the Norris con Smythe Stanley cup guys, 23 years old. And we're already, we're already cementing a place. We're already cementing a place in the, uh, the hockey hall of fame for this kid. Um, but uh, one of the things Gabriel Landeskog said after, after winning the cup was, you know, for teams to do what the Avs did, they need to go out and find themselves a Kale McCarr. What were your thoughts on his play over the, over the, the, while well, the season that the playoffs, that final round and uh, just, you know, the Avs in general. Yeah. I mean, Makar is a beast on on his own. He's just I I I I can't I can never get over the fact that this guy slipped to fourth overall in 2017. And you know it, it's it's kind of hard to clown Dallas for that, who obviously took Miro Heiskin in third because Heiskin is also a great player and he's a young defenseman. I think you know 31 other teams would kill to have as well. But man, when you look at the the Flyers taking Nolan Patrick second overall in that draft, and then you know. Even the Devils. I mean, Nico Heischer is a great player. He's going to be a great defensive two-way center for them for years to come. But when you stack him next to Kale McCarr, it's just you can't help but cringe for the other teams. And you know, it, it, it's it's obviously one of those things where hindsight's twenty twenty. Like I don't like Kale McCarr at the time is playing in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. That he's playing Junior A hockey. So I don't think too too many people would have looked back and said, "Wow, uh, I can't believe those teams didn't take the Junior A defenseman first overall." But, you know, his skill is just on full display. Everything from his offensive ability to his way to his way of quarterbacking the power play and keeping the play moving. His skating is he's the best skating defenseman I think I've ever seen. Um, And he's just he's just such an incredibly well-rounded player. And you listen to his interview after the uh, after they won the cup. And uh, the first guys that he mentioned were. were the deadline acquisitions. And I think that's another thing to be said about the avalanche this year too. Every single deadline acquisition that they made, made some impact. You have Arturi Lekinen scoring the, the overtime winner to send him to the cup final. You've got Andrew Cogliano being a great veteran presence for their bottom six for the entirety of the series. You got Josh Manson, all three of those, those big deadline acquisitions. And I'm using those three because they're the ones that Kale McCarr mentioned. Um, you know, they all did what they were supposed to do. And I think it really goes to show what happens when everybody on your team buys into the same mentality and buys into, you know, what the, like what the team's able to do and what their, uh, um, what, what, where their potential is, I guess, because we saw it with Colorado this year and, you know, Peter, you wrote an article on it a couple of days ago, about saying the Leafs could follow in their footsteps and, um, I, I do. I, I agree that there are a lot of similarities between the two teams there. I think um, Colorado is obviously further ahead than the Leafs. Sorry. I mean, they just won the fucking cup, so you can't really make any <laughs> argument otherwise. But um, at the same time, you know, there are there's definitely a blueprint to follow there. And I think uh, I, I think if the Leafs do some of the same things that the Avalanche did, um, I think then that their, their time will come eventually. But yeah, just a great series overall. And man, what a what what a player McCarr is. I have a question for you guys though. That twenty that twenty seventeen draft, McCarr was taken fourth overall. Yeah. That that season, the Colorado Avalanche were the last place team. If they won the draft lottery, no do way. you think they would take no. Kale McCarr first overall? No, not a chance. Not a chance. No, going into that draft, Nolan Patrick was 
the the number one choice for so yeah. many teams. Mm-hmm. And even, I, even when even when the Devils took Heischer, like pe- people were saying like, oh yeah, we knew they were going to take Heischer. But I think everybody up until maybe like a day or two before thought that Nolan Patrick was going to be the the guy. And it, like Kale McCarr was like on the radar. And I remember... I remember them talking about him at the, at the combine and, and he was just this quiet, um, quiet, soft-spoken mm-hmm. kid. And, and nobody, nobody was talking about him potentially going first overall, not one person. So, I mean, you can sit back here now, if you're the Colorado Avalanche and say, Oh yeah, absolutely. If we had had first overall, yeah, we would have taken Kilma Carr. He was on our radar the entire time, but not a chance. If they, if they had the first overall mm-hmm. pick, we'd be talking about another team with, uh, you know, a superstar future hall of fame defenseman rather than the, the Colorado avalanche. Uh, so because it, it just seemed like it was fate that they lost that lottery and then they take McCarr fourth overall. It just seemed like everything fell into place for them right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, a couple of takeaways too is Nazem Qadri is also the, the, the first uh, player of Muslim descent to, mm-hmm. uh, to get his name on the cup. Um, that's, that's great. When we talk about diversity in the game and we talk about, uh, growing the game, I mean, to have somebody, um, you know, of Muslim descent to, to, to be able to raise that cup. I mean, that's huge for the game. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, it goes to show you like Gabriel Aniskog is such a big piece to that, that organization, mm-hmm. uh, Nathan McKinnon, um, you know, he had a great, he had a great playoffs. Darcy Kemper had a great playoffs and he, he wasn't, he wasn't spot on. And this is something we talked about with Jack Campbell um, going into the playoffs was that he wasn't unbelievable. He had above average. He was above average and he had unbelievable moments. Mm -hmm. And that's all that you need when it comes to a goaltender, you need the backhand. And that's, that's again, where, where the Leafs might be stifling a little bit. And, um, you know, last thought before we jump over to to another topic here is I'm going to throw it to you, Peter, real quick because you wrote an article about the the mental break or not really the mental break, but how the Leafs can kind of fall in line with what the Avs did this year. And one of the questions we got from uh, a, I'm going to call him a longtime listener and, and, and an avid listener, um, Nith at Hockey Nith on Twitter. What does the Avs breaking through mentally mean for the Maple Leafs organization? Um, and I'll, I'll kind of let you take this away, Peter, cause, uh, cause of your piece over at the hockey writers. Yeah. Uh, big shout out to the comment section for, you know, not fully reading the article and the point I was trying to make, um, you they know, do. the thing is like, you see the comparisons with the two teams, you know, obviously they had key pieces in place. Colorado had McKinnon and Landis Coggin Ratton and came in the Maple Leafs had, uh, Nylander, Matthews and Marner, um, you know, other pieces came in later. Kale McCarr came in later for the Avalanche. And even so, they were still struggling. Um, granted that they've won playoff series, but the Avalanche still had that second round struggle. They missed playoffs. They, To be honest, that 2016-17 team should have been grounds to possibly blow everything up and try and retool everything. Granted, it was so early in McKinnon and Landis Cog's career because they were going to be the future. I think they were going to be untouchable, but who knows what could have happened. I mean, the Maple Leafs have made the playoffs every single season with this core. Colorado missed out with some of their key pieces. To think that, you know, the Maple Leafs should blow everything up right now after they made consecutive playoffs without running around, teams go over this hump. Teams go through struggles and they go through adversity nonstop. The co- this, not getting past the second round was the Colorado Avalanche's adversity. This is obviously the Maple Leafs need to get through that first round, but this one against Tampa Bay, this was right there for the taking. And if they went on, it probably could have been Toronto, Tampa Bay. I mean, Toronto, Colorado in that final. So I think what you got to take from that is be patient because Colorado had instances where they easily could have blown up the core. Could have, I mean, they did make moves trading away Matthew Shane, Ryan O'Reilly, Tyson Berry, and Kerfoot that came to, you know, Toronto, but you know, you make a rash decision, it can't come back to haunt you. They, they made decisions that benefited their core. The Toronto Maple Leafs still need to do that right now. Obviously, could there be a summer of Kawhi move? Can there be other additions like they made that build around their top players? You know, they brought in the Nazem Kadri to be the center behind Nathan McKinnon. Obviously, they drafted Kale McCarr. It's tough to find a Kale McCarr right now, but, you know, you have great depth on defense, 
that probably could have matched that up against because Muzzin was coming back to form. Brody was great. Riley was on a different level in the playoffs as well. So I think right now he is, they just got to find that extra gear, just like Colorado did. And like you said, the mental block is always going to be there, but teams always go through losing multiple times, trying to find themselves. And then that's when they come out on top. Tampa Bay, again, they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets when they were the top team. They didn't blow it up entirely. So maybe the Maple Leafs shouldn't blow it up entirely right now. You need to make moves because you're almost there, but you just need to get the right pieces. And I think that's what Kyle Dubas needs to do. I think he needs to take a bit more risk in the moves that he's trying to make and not necessarily try to overthink it. But like the moves to bring in Josh Manson, to bring in Arturi Lekkanen and Andrew Cogliano, those are the moves he needs to continue to make. Those depth pieces, yeah, you got to pay it, but... You add to that depth, you add to the bottom six, you add to the, I mean, kind of hard with the defense right now, but you have that opportunity. And that was the point I was trying to make that, you know, they went through adversity. The Leafs are still going through adversity right now. They got over the hump. Chances are teams get over that hump. It's only going to be a matter of time before the Maple Leafs do. And I'm sorry I went on and on rambling, but that was just my thought process for this article because there was just so many similarities to it. And I just had to, obviously you can't compare the Maple Leafs to the avalanche at this point. Cause they won the cup. The Leafs don't, but you can see the path that they can take. And you know, Matthew said we were right there. They are right there. They just got to power through a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you rambled on. Cause it was, it's, I mean, it's, it's great uh, thinking on your part to, to tie in, the way that these, these two teams are built. I mean, there are a lot mm-hmm. of similarities and that's, you know, so often in Toronto, we take away the negatives from this team and we, yeah. we jump right to, yeah, let's make a Kawhi type deal. Whereas, you know, maybe, maybe you stick with it. And these guys eventually like, you have to remember the core here is, is, you know, 25 and under, young. right. Yeah. Um, you look at Colorado and, and Gabriel Andeskog, Nathan McKinnon, they're, they're just the over 25. They're, yeah. They're getting more into their their prime and understanding what it takes to get to that next level. The point I was making too, McKinnon won in his ninth season. Mm-hmm. Landis Cog was in his 11th. Andrew, Andrew Cogliano won for the first time in 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't say the whole entire comment section because, you know, there were three or four commenters that, you know, made good points and, you know, understood the point I was trying to make. So shout out to the good commenters on that piece. But at the same time, yeah. You know, it takes a while for players to figure things out. And unfortunately, the Maple Leafs are in that law. It happens, you know, happened with Ovechkin. It happened with Stamkos and the Lightning. The Maple Leafs aren't the only team to do this. So I don't understand. I mean, obviously, yeah, you want to see a move that benefits the team to push them in the right direction. But like they said at the end of the season conference, and even Alex has met, wrote about it quite and mentioned it a few times too. You don't want to make a rash decision because one bad move, kind of like that Kadri deal, even though it needed to be made, everyone's just going to jump down Dubas's throat for no reason. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, the Avs were not the only team to win a championship uh, this week. Uh, this evening, I'm going to say uh, here on Wednesday, Wednesday evening, that yeah. the Sea Dogs won the Memorial Cup. Um, big news, obviously, because one, they were the host team. Um, they didn't qualify based on winning their their respective league. Um, but two, William Villeneuve is also part of that organization. Obviously, a Leaf prospect as well. Um, any input on that, Alex? Um, well, I read a really interesting piece about Villeneuve lately, uh, recently. I can't remember who it was by. I want to say maybe it was by... May have been by James Myrtle. I'm not too, too sure. But essentially the article was about how, you know, Villeneuve kind of had a, his development kind of hit a stall because, you know, he had a really great, when the Leafs drafted him, he was an all offense guy. He was almost a point per game. He's, you know, six foot two right shot defenseman who's producing well offensively in the QMJHL. I mean, looked like a pretty attractive prospect, but then, you know, he didn't really go anywhere from the year that the Leafs drafted him. He was sort of just spinning his tires and his production took a little bit of a dip and stuff. And then, so essentially the entire article was about how Villeneuve um, basically revamped his game and realized, Hey, like I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to just make it, make the NHL if I keep coasting like this and keep relying on, you know, secondary assists and stuff like that. 
And I, I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch any of the Memorial cup, but from everything I heard, apparently he's really developed as a two way defenseman and his offense. If you look at his numbers this year, they're kind of, his numbers are kind of back where they were in 2020 when the Leafs drafted him, but that doesn't mean there hasn't been progress with him. So yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really watch the Memorial cup at all. I, I didn't watch it at all. So I'm not going to, you know, try and assess any of the games or anything like that, because I'd be talking out of my ass, but Villeneuve, I, uh, he's a guy that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on over the next couple of years, because I think he's a guy that may have found himself slipping on the depth chart, more depth chart, more and more had he, uh, sort of just gotten complacent with uh, where his game was at and not decided to take those extra steps. So it's going to be interesting to follow uh, his, his career from here and see if he cracks the top four job at the Marlies next year. Peter, your thoughts on Villeneuve and the St. John's sea dogs winning it all. Yeah. I mean, Cinderella underdog story for the sea dogs. I mean, absolutely phenomenal how they were able to do that uh, going up against, you know, the QMJHL champs to win again, cataracts and OHL champs, Hamilton Bulldogs. I mean, they just powered through and also shout out to William DeFore, just an absolute beast looking like a great pick for the Islanders. Um, but yeah, you know, in, in regards to Villeneuve, I was high on him, I, obviously kind of like a boomer bust pick you know, in 2020. And I was hoping that the Maple Leafs would take him in the second round, but they didn't, but he was still available in the fourth. So, you know, that kind of worked out in the end uh, because I love his mobility. I love his ability in transition. Um, obviously the, he had some foundation to a defensive game, but it wasn't quite there. I think this year he actually found that two-way mentality, learning to be a little bit more aggressive on the back end, you know, keeping players to the outside. I think he's found that game. And I, you know, um, recently before the Memorial cup started, I, I thought I'm like, this is a chance for him to like show his true worth and value. And also, you know, Dubas and Shanahan were there. Um, obviously they got a good look at him to try and see not Dubas and Shanahan, Dubas and Spezza. Sorry. Uh, we're, we're president at, during one game. It was, you know, uh, Hamilton and uh, Schwinnigan, I believe. But, you know, they probably got a good look at Villeneuve. And if he's able to uh, just maintain that consistency and take those steps in his development, he could very well be a factor going forward. Um, obviously, you know, the QMJHL is a high-scoring league. You know, all the offenses, even on the defense, likes to jump into the rush quite a bit. But the fact that he's taking those steps is a great sign. And he was someone that I really wanted to get a better read on even though I was high on him and then even though he hit that low, I still had faith in him. And I was very, you know, what I saw reassured me that he's taking the right steps and I'm hoping that he can continue to do that. Yeah, no, I, I, I think like you said, I mean, the QMJHL is so high scoring. So read into his stats as you would, but as a defenseman, eight goals, 56 points in 64 games in the regular season, not as much offense through the playoffs and the Mem cup. That said, still a plus player, um, mm-hmm. still a guy that uh, w- was a force for this this team. And and uh, as Alex said, I mean, there, there's there's a will to develop there, and that's that's the biggest yeah. thing. It's, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for him over the next couple of years, and, and whether or not he can push his way up that depth chart. But um, shout out to St. John, shout out to the 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 Sea Dogs for getting it done, and shout out for to William Villeneuve for learning that winning mentality at a younger mm-hmm. age and, and, and trying to bring that to the, the Leafs organization. So uh, good stuff there. Um, I, before we get into the, the couple notes that I have here for the Leafs, I do want to talk about uh, um, the fact that Rogers will be doing some cuts. So no hometown hockey anymore, guys, unfortunately, Ron and, uh, and Tara will not be, be on the road as much next season. Um, on top of that, sponsors dropping like flies for hockey Canada. Uh, Peter, I think we talked about this before we hit mm-hmm. the record here. Esso, uh, uh, Scotiabank, Tim Hortons, Canadian Tire, all on board with dropping hockey Canada. Um, from my understanding, I believe it's, uh, I believe it's, it's a Tim- pause. I think they're just suspending it. They're, the they're going to, yes. They're, until something's figured out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That said, I believe it's not, uh, I forget which one it was. I was reading about it, but they, they are, they will continue to, uh, to push on the women's side um, and, and sponsor the women's side uh, when it comes to the tournaments, the U18, um, the world championships, all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's good news there. Um, 
but it just goes to show you that uh, there is some accountability and, and mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully this is the change that needs to happen, right? Like sponsors pull out all of a sudden, you know, the world juniors might not be as, as prolific as it, I mean, it will in the, the eyes of the viewer, but when it comes to um, from the, the financial side, it definitely is a hit uh, for, for hockey Canada. So uh, that'll be something to, to look at um, as we move forward here. But uh, I don't want to get into the whole Hockey Canada bullshit again because we, we've been through that last week. We still don't have any more information, so we can't really sit here and dwell on on the lack of information. But um, it's just a dark cloud over Hockey Canada at this point. Yeah, it's like, not, I mean, like, it's not like, good. It's right? just like, getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, honestly, the fact that they still haven't done anything to try and like you know have some sort of like not necessarily protocol, but like you know. Um, steps to take in and try and prevent uh, this kind of stuff from happening again. It absolutely is concerning and disgusting on their part. It really is. Well, and the thing here is they've got an opportunity and they do at the end of the day, they have to look at what that, what that, what that opportunity presents, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and how to move forward with it. So with that in mind, uh, we will jump to leave talk real quick here. Another listener question and, and two this week, guys. So we're, we're, we're getting the, we're getting the downloads. <laughs> uh, we're getting the listens, but uh, Jay at morning underscore jolt on Twitter asks, what's the worst thing the Maple Leafs could do this off season? Alex, I'm going to throw it to you for this one. I am going to get a little bold and I'm going to say the worst thing that the Leafs could do this off season is. <sighs> You know what? I, I don't know how to word it necessarily, but I think actually, yes, I do. Fuck this. I'm going to, I'm going to restart. <laughs> I think that the worst thing the Leafs could do this off season is go into next season with a question mark in the crease. Mm-hmm. And yes, when I say that, I mean, I mean that the worst thing they could do is go out and sign somebody like a Billy Huso or a tandem of, Casey DeSmith and Anthony Stolarz or whatever the hell, you know, who, you know, exactly who I'm talking about. Maybe not exactly. Cause you know, you can narrow it down to a couple of different guys, but you know, the guy, like the, the guys that have been mentioned that Chris Johnson's mentioned the bargain bin guys, the reclamation projects, the, the unproven backups who are posting good numbers and limited sample sets and looking to, uh, looking to become full-time starting goalies. I think if the Leafs settle for any of those or settle for that at all, if Jack Campbell doesn't come back, I think it's going to, that's probably the worst thing they could do this off season. And what I will say is that that is something that I will gladly eat my words on. If the Leafs go out and sign, say someone like Philly Huso, and he ends up being better than Campbell or being as good as Campbell was this year actually ends up being good for them. I'm yeah. Then, by all means, I was wrong. I, I I shouldn't have been, you know, judging goalies. I'm not a fucking goalie myself. <laughs> but at this point, I, I've been pretty clear on this, and I had a tweet about this today. If the Leafs can't bring back Jack Campbell, I want them to be shooting for the Gibsons. I want them to be shooting for, you know, um, Connor Hellebuck's if he's available. You know, I, I want them – hell, I'd even prefer that they offer Marc-Andre Fleury a one-year contract. I, I, I would like to go with somebody who has been there – and has proven that they can be a gamer instead of going with a guy like any of the people I've mentioned who are unproven or really don't have much. Cause like I said, there are two, like, I feel like no matter what the Leafs do here, there's going to be risks involved, but if you're going to take a risk, go with the guy who's been proven to play at a level that the Leafs need in the crease. Don't go with a risk that could end up burning you in the end, just because it's the cheaper option. So that is what I would say not to do. Yeah, hell, I said uh, Jake Ottinger last week, and uh, Mike kind of Mike kind of laughed at me, but uh, I, I I was going with him as an as an ideal candidate uh, just from what we've seen uh, with him in Dallas. But I agree with you there, uh, Peter. If the Leafs could do the worst thing this offseason, what would it be for them? Not address the second line. Um, you know, obviously Tavares and Nylander have worked well but the fact that they went quiet at times during the second half was very very concerning and the fact that you don't you didn't have a very impactful left winger on that side showed the flaw in that line at times that they were heavily relied on and maybe at times the speed was too much for Tavares up the middle and there's talks about him putting putting him on the wing um I think you need to add another winger in that spot uh I talked about internal options but is that going to be a 
long-term fix? Probably not. Or it may help in the short term, but not long-term because, you know, Robertson's coming up. He's dealt with injuries. Pontus Holmberg, the verdict is set out on him. Matthew Nyes, college this year, but he could come later on in the season. That again, could go on a deep run with Minnesota. So we don't know. But if you want to get some solid is like find some stability you got to go out and make a trade to bring in another top six winger or top six forward uh, I, I don't think you're going to go far with just you know five forwards because we saw how deep the top six was for colorado how deep the toxic top six was for tampa bay um you know i i, I previously talked about maybe they were in on andrew cop maybe you try and take a run of him because he could play both center and wing it'll help out with tavares Rowdy Smith has still got some great speed. Do they try and pry uh, Andre Pallad as a free agent? Um, granted, he may be asking for more money at this point. Um, again, you have assets to try and make a trade as well. So why not try and bring in a, you know, fast, aggressive, smart puck possession type player? Because there are plenty of them in the league right now that you could try and bring in and they, they may at least have the assets to do so. So, um, I, I think that would be a big mistake if they tried to rely on internal options for the top six because it could be in the bottom six depth role to start. But you don't know how that's going to pan out. Yeah, I'm going to kind of make more of a blanket statement here and say that I think the worst thing that the Leafs could do this offseason is nothing. Um, they mm-hmm. got they got to do something. And, and, yeah. and, and I'm not saying go out and do a Kawhi Leonard type deal. I, I, I'm talking about you know, maybe you move Justin Hall for, for, you know, a fourth round pick. Maybe you move um, Alex Kerfoot to, to free up some space and, you know, you get another pick out of it. I think the Leafs need to get another pick in this draft. Yeah. And I say that because I think, you know, three picks is great. Um, but I think once you get past that first round, that second round, there's a lot of depth in this draft. There's a ton of depth in this draft and it's guys that will fill out that middle six and that bottom six for you. Um, and, and guys that, you know, will help push the guys that the Leafs have right now in their, in their prospect pipeline and push them to that next level. And to me, that's what the Leafs need to do. They need to find a way to get another pick in this draft. Um, they, they can't sit back and do nothing. If they if they go into next season, you know, signing maybe maybe re-signing Blackwell, um, you know, maybe maybe you, you re-sign um, Angval or or Mikheyev or, or or get Sandine back, whatever. I mean, it's all it's all great. It's all it's all you know, good and fun to have them back. But to me, you're doing nothing, and I think I think toronto will be extremely disappointed i think leafs nation will be extremely disappointed i think when we talk about the result at the end of next season we're all going to be sitting here really disappointed as well so to me it's it's go out there and do something make a small change um you know it doesn't have to be an overhaul but it's got to be something and uh i i think that's what that's what you have to sit on right now if you're you're part of leafs nation Forbes, I'm, oh sorry were you done no, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I, I was just going to say I'm going to I'm going to jump in and interject right here because this kind of will tie perfectly in with our next topic. I feel like the Leafs getting another draft pick in this draft is a foregone conclusion, and the reason for that is one man named Justin Hall. And sorry, I should have said the reasons: one man named Justin Hall and one contract signing of Timothy Lilligren from a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we we mentioned that, or well, we haven't mentioned that, but we're obviously you know might as well get to it now. Timothy Lilligren. Uh, Back on what is it, 1.4 million for the next two years? That's a pretty that's a pretty solid deal for a guy like Lilligren, who especially, you know, Mark Giordano's here for two years. And if you can get those two guys playing together um for for at least 60 games a season, I think you're gonna see a really good version of both Giordano and Lilligren out there. But um I think that now that you've officially brought back Timmy, um that leaves you with Riley, Brody, Muzzin, um Lilligren, Giordano, and Sandine on the back end. And I just I I know I know how much Sheldon Keefe loves Justin Hall. And I know how much um Leafs Brass in general has valued Justin Hall in the past. I, I mean you saw it last year. They they exposed they traded for Jared McCann and exposed him only to only like for the sole purpose of leaving Justin Hall protected. 
And, you know, we obviously, that's a huge hindsight move. We look back and I see shaking her head there, Forbes. But um, I, I, I think that even though the Leafs like Justin Hall, even though Keith likes Justin Hall, even though the brass seemingly likes Hall as well, I, I just don't see a way that you can justify him being in a, the regular rotation of defenseman that the Leafs have right now, especially not when you're looking at such a depleted draft capital in the 2022 class. I think even if you can get like a, a fifth or a sixth or a seventh rounder for Justin Hall, I think you got to trade him because, you know, Dubas has traded for, he's picked good players in late rounds before, you know, I know none of these guys have made the NHL, but Pontus Holmberg looks great for a sixth round pick right now. You, Ryan Swerberg for a seventh round pick. We've seen, um, you know, Nick Abrazzesi used a fourth round pick two years ago. And then two years later, he's playing on the Leafs fourth line. So Dubas is good at finding good players in the later rounds. And I think, you know, even if you can only get a seventh round pick out of it or a sixth round pick, I think getting rid of Justin Hall's $2 million, even though that's not that, that much. Um, I think getting rid of his cap and adding another draft pick in the process is something that we're going to see over the next week or yeah, I guess it would, it would be over the next week because the draft is in a week. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and kind of snowballing off of that, you got Giordano and Lilligren who arguably was one of your better pairings down the stretch at the end of that season um, for less than 2.2 million. Um, Pretty, pretty incredible, or sorry, just over 2.2 million. Uh, not a math guy here. Um, but uh, I, on top of that, I mean, you look at any team that's won the cup in the last, I don't know, go back two decades, and some of their key players are guys that are taken in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. I mean, talk about Datsu, talk about Zetterberg, talk about, um, you know, guys that that are key role players that have, have been you know, continually drafted late in, in drafts. And, and we talk about Patrick Hornquist was the last pick in his draft, the very last pick. And look how important he's been to every team that he's played on. Um, Bill Pavelski, even though he hasn't Pavelski. won, but Pavelski has been critical. Yeah. Yeah. No, another one. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it kind of goes to show you that those late round picks, I mean, I'm not looking for like, give me a, give me a fifth round pick for Justin Hall. I'm not looking for, for, you know, a steal. I'm looking for, for an opportunity to give one of these guys a chance in Toronto and see what they can do for you. Um, but I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Obviously you mentioned Lilligren signed two years, uh, 1.4 million. And, and what I loved about it is he, he mentioned how, Hey, yeah, I've, uh, you know, I've taken, taken steps in the right direction, but now it's, uh, you know, two more years to, to continue to develop. And, you know, that's that's the kind of mentality that you want and if if this is the kind of deal that he's willing to take i mean you look at sandy and you look hey maybe we offer you 1.5 give him a little bit of boost because he does have a little bit more nhl experience um <clears throat> but he's another guy that you got to get locked up and um this is the future of your defense right now um we've seen what they've been able to do the way that they've been patient and developed and and the organization has been patient with him as well um it, it's just it, it'll be interesting to see what Sandine pulls in uh, be based on this deal. And I think it's going to be awfully close. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. you've talked about it a little bit, uh, Peter, on how close it's going to, or how it could be, you know, not identical contracts, but, but similar. Um, but uh, yeah. Wh what do you think about the Lilligren signing? Uh, absolutely love it. I mean, you just talked about like how Jordan and Lilligren were the best pairing down the stretch. I'm looking at money puck and based on defensive pairings in terms of their shot attempts for, they were the 36 best pairing 54.7 top 40 in the league. You go to expected goals for, so like based on the amount of like the quality of shots that they get on that with 150 minutes, they were the second best pairing behind Grizzly and McAvoy at 65.8% for expected goals for that is an absolutely insane number for a third pairing. Um, that, did, that didn't play incredibly long with each other. Exactly. Small <clears throat> sample size, 16 games compared to the 65 games uh, that uh, Grizzly, uh, Grizzly and McAvoy played, you know, it, it, it's insane how they were able to develop such great chemistry early on. And even uh, Giordano was talking about how Lilligren, you know, he saw the potential in him and how maybe he's trying to emulate the same game that Giordano was. Cause they were both physical. They were both active on the rush. Um, something that they wanted in the third pairing that could be that two way presence, but overall contract wise, I mean, you can't say anything bad about it. You know, 
2.8 over two years, 1.4 per season. I did talk about previously how, or even online saying that maybe Sandin could just get a slightly bit more because of his, you know, upside and potential of him trying to be a puck moving defenseman. Um, maybe he goes 1.5, just slightly over or 1.45. Um, I talked about how maybe you try to sign them long-term to that sort of like Zach white cloud kind of deal. But I think this could pave the way for that. If you sign them to those short-term bridge contracts, because they still up for RFA. If they perform well, uh, Lilligren in these two years and Sandin, once he, hopefully he signs, you sign them to those two years in that last RFA deal, you can sign them long-term. And I think that number is not going to be insanely high because if they're earning 1.4 right now, chances are you may want to look at an Alexander Kerfoot type deal where they're making, both of them are making similar in that ballpark $3.54 million range. Um, and if you could get that over five, six years, that is going to be a great bargain. And if they continue to get better over on top of that, Lilligren as a two-way defenseman, Sandin is that offensive, you know, puck mover, it's going to go great. And I, I, I obviously, you know, I can't look into the future, but if that does play out and they do give them similar contracts in, at their second RFA season in 24-25, Look out because then they'll have, and also that's going to be the year where Muzzin and Brody are also UFAs. So you're going to get more money freed up on top of that. That's going to be the same year where Matthews needs a new contract. Nylander needs a new contract. So you're going to have more money to work with possibly. And the cap's going to go up for Lilligren, Sandine, Matthews, and Nylander. Hopefully, well, depending on what happens with Nylander, because, you know, if you want a quiet Leonard move or there's talk about moving Nylander or whatever, but you have options. And I think that's going to go well for the Maple Leafs if that's the case. All right, gentlemen, before we close this episode out, I had two quick questions and they can be quick hits. They can be, you know, short answers, but uh, there's, there's some sports books right now that have the Leafs as the top team in the East going into next season. Alex, are they the top team in the East right now? That's man, that, that is such a, <laughs> I don't even know how to put the words together. That's just not a question that you should be asking before Off the, the expectation, not, not you specifically, but like it, for the sports books, that's not a question that anybody should be asking before the off season starts, especially one day after the cup was given out. Like yeah, that's pretty, like, that's a stretch. No, like, yeah, I could go ahead and say the Leafs are the best team in the East right now, but that are the Leafs the team that made it the furthest in the East this year. No, they're not. Could they be? Well, I don't know because the off season hasn't <laughs> happened yet. We don't know who they're going to be adding. So uh, my, I guess, short answer, no, I don't think they're the best team in the East right now. Ask me again in like three weeks. Peter, what are your thoughts on this one? From mine, three weeks, ask me at the start of the season, because then uh, you at least have, you know, players coming in the, you know, training camp, you know, who the Maple Leafs got in the off season via trade, free agency, whatever. I mean, to do it this quick, a day or two after Stanley Cup was given out. I think that's just a little, I, I think it's the sports books and, you know, online betting, trying to get a jump on next season and try and get those wagers in because, hey, it's big right now. But at the same time, I mean, no, I, I don't think they're the best team in the East. I think they're the third or fourth best team in the East, but not the best at this point. Again, we'll see what happens in the offseason, similar to what Alex said. No legitimate goalie right now under contract, yeah, aside from Peter Morazic. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, unless you move a lot him. of holes, lot, yeah, unless you lose them, a lot of holes in the lineup. I'm not putting a future on the Leafs to come out as the, as the East at this point in time. Um, another quick question for you. And this is something that I kind of brought up. I was out on the, out on the links today. Uh, and I brought this up because uh, we were talking about Mike, Mike Agello's, uh interview last week. And he said that uh, Matthews will earn more than McDavid, potentially the first guy to earn 20% of his team's cap. And my question is to is to you guys. If you, so I'll throw it to Peter first. If if you talk to to Al or if you talk to uh, Austin Matthews, and he says, "Look, I want twenty percent of the cap," or he wants even close to twenty percent of the cap. Let's say nineteen percent of the cap. And you know he has a no movement clause in the final year of this deal that he's in. Do you even consider? Do you even consider? Moving Austin Matthews. Uh, 
that's a good question. Um, I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm gonna lean over over to no. Um, obviously, yeah, it, it's going to be a big price. There's no doubt about that. He's your franchise player. There's there's no other way around it. I think you got to try and keep him in the fold. And if there is, I mean, some. I don't want to say divine miracle, but if there's that, you know, slim chance that he does take a bit of a discount considering that he's, you know, one worse of this team, considering that maybe he, I mean, even if he does go up, I, I, I just can't see it being more worth than what McDavid is. I, I mean, if it is, it's going to be slightly more than what McDavid's earning. I don't see it's going to be, maybe close to the 19, 20%. But if it does, I mean, you got to consider it. He's your top player. I mean, I I wouldn't want him to walk because of what we're able to do. And you've heard him talk about how, how close this team is, how he wants to be a part of the success down the line. And I think maybe, I I can't remember when Shanahan said it, but I think it's that it comes to a point where if you got to take less in order to win, you got to prioritize that. And I think because he got his, you know, worth this contract, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I think maybe he does take a bit of a hit or if he does get a bigger contract, it's not going to be at a major price that they can't afford. I think they'll be able to afford him no matter what. Alex, um, same question, assuming, and, and I should, I should note that I'm not sitting here saying that he's going to be greedy on his next contract, but I'm, I consider the idea of him getting 20% of the cap and knowing what we know about teams, you know, trying to build around a guy that's earning that much of your, of your cap. Would you consider moving him a year out from now? Um, again, a really hard question to answer. Um, I think it would have to depend on what happens this season. And I think it would also have to depend on what the cap situation is looking like, because on one hand, you look at Austin Matthews, you know, even if you were to move him for assets and, you know, maybe one of those assets ends up being uh, a high draft pick again, you got to strike gold on a lot of things to get a player that could be half as good as Austin Matthews. This guy scored 60 goals last year. You're not just going to find another 60 goal score in a draft somewhere. And sure, you might find other pieces that will help your team. But we're talking about a, a, what I would say is a once-a-generation type of player for the Leafs. Yeah. And, you know, he's only 24 or 25 years old. And you're, so you're trading him before, you know, you get into the real meat of his career. So I would probably lean towards, no, I wouldn't move him. I would give him the money if he wanted that much. But... I'm also not going to fully commit to that. And I, again, it's just another one of those things where I, hopefully this conversation never actually has to happen for real, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd probably lean to lean against trading him as well, just because of what he is and what, what he's done already for the Leafs. I mean, I think, I think it's a different conversation to have if it's uh, if the Leafs are, you know, if the Leafs do something in the playoffs next year, something like that, then who knows? Maybe you have that conversation, but I don't think that I don't think there's a place for it right now. All right, boys, I'm going to I'm going to tell you, I, I'm obviously I'm leaning towards no, because I would love to hold on to Matthews. Um, I, I said it earlier in the show. I wouldn't go out and make some huge Kawhi type deal. That said, I got talking and uh, one one came to my mind and and it kind of goes back to this whole Arizona Toronto deal with would Matthews ever go back to Arizona? And I, I got thinking about um, Clayton Keller, Jacob Chikrin, Dylan Gunther, an unprotected first and a protected top 10 first in the following year for Austin Matthews and Nick Robertson. And the reason I go that route is because I'm not at this point in time, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that Nick Robertson is the NHL player that we have been led to believe. So to me in that type of deal, he's a thrown with the potential that he has. Um, but you're forcing, you're forcing Arizona to give you the assets that could potentially make up 
for an Austin Matthews missing your lineup with the understanding that none of them will ever live up to the same expectation that you're putting on Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I know, I know I'm going to hear it from some people. <laughs> I know I'm going to hear it from some people and I'm okay with that. I wanted to throw it out there because he does have a no movement clause in the final year of his deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if he does jump to the 20% mark, I think you're looking at a Leafs team that will not do much come playoff time moving forward. If, mm-hmm. if you, if you offer a player 20% of your cap. It's interesting that you also brought up Robertson too, because he's still projected as top six upside, you know, 30, 30 goal score, you know, with the speed and shot that he has. But at the same time, if he, if the injuries still persist, I mean, you, you got to look at consider moving him and get a price in return before, you know, you lose that opportunity. Maybe not with Matthews, but maybe something comes down the line where maybe you do move Robertson Plus for something substantial in return. I mean, maybe not for Matthew, maybe not along with Matthews, but you get something in return. So it's it's interesting that you brought up Robertson in that proposal because I think he could still be a trade target. And if Matthew Nyes continues to, you know, develop as the way that he's going, yeah, you could probably say bye to Robertson at that point. Yeah, just like like I said, hypothetical. I would, mm-hmm. me personally, I I get so attached to our players. I don't want to see. I don't want to see Matthews go anywhere. I want to see Matthews be elite for life. Yep. I want to see him break records. I want to see him crush records. I want to see him. I, I want to see a statue on Legends Row when we're all done talking. Um, but it was it was a thought that came to my mind. I figured this was the best avenue to discuss it without getting torn apart by the tech or anybody else on the hockey writers. <laughs> So, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's something you have to consider. It's something mm-hmm. you have to think about. And, and while none of us want to, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it, it's got to float around every once in a while. So I figured I'd float it around on episode 89. Uh, shout out to Nick Robertson. Um, oh. And uh, yeah, gentlemen, anything else you guys wanted to add before we close out here, Alex, uh, what do you got going for the week? Uh, well, draft is obviously a week today, uh, assuming this episode is out tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm going to be on the, uh, live team for the draft tweeting out or not tweeting out rather, but posting live, uh, live updates on the picks throughout the first round and parts of the second, uh, uh, big thing. I've got my mock draft coming this weekend. I'm going to be, I'm going to be working away at that mock draft all weekend. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I got some takes and, uh, you know, I've, I don't know. I consider myself to have some all over the place accuracy when it comes to, when it comes to mock drafts, because I think it was 20, 2015. I want to say, I think I guessed like 12 out of 30 picks correctly, which I thought was pretty good. But then there have also been other seasons where I've guessed the first two picks and that's it. So um, yeah, looking forward to seeing how my, my takes uh, for this mock draft stack up and uh, against the real thing. Uh Peter. A lot of draft talk going into yeah. this week. What do you got going on, buddy? Yeah. Um, good thing about Mox, Alex, is that, you know, it's all for fun. So even mm-hmm. whether you're right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. And it, if someone says, oh, I don't like this pick, yeah, well, tough. It's just for fun. <laughs> um, yeah, no, draft content, uh, getting prepped for the draft uh, next week. Uh, still profiles in the works. I got a five bowl predictions for the NHL draft coming out as well. And yeah, I'm going to be live with Alex as well for the draft. Uh, the news coverage and everything like that. So let's hope that there's going to be a Igor Chinnikov and one profile gets as many views as yours, as yours did Andrew. So, uh, should be fun. Crazy. Crazy. There was like <laughs> 50,000 people on that Chinnikov, uh, draft that, uh, draft profile that year. But, um, yeah, boys, a uh, lot, lots to talk about in the next week. Uh, we'll have hopefully a draft show coming up, uh, next week as well. Um, as always, folks, we, we we thank you so much for tuning in. Um, big news, if you don't follow us on Twitter, um, you should, first of all. But uh, we also hit 84th on Canada's hockey podcast list. So great work, guys. We're up there with some great people. Uh, Habs yes. Unfiltered at 80. Another another couple guys from uh, the hockey writers. Emily Kaplan there at uh, 81 on ESPN. And then obviously the Wally Mathot um, show. We're up there with them. And Steve Coolius and Craig Button as well, right below us at 85. That's right, Craig Button, right below us at 85. So um, like I said, if you don't follow us already on Twitter, make sure you hit us up. You can follow Peter at P. Barrichini. 
Uh, you can follow Alex at a hops and media, and you can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes. You can also follow the podcast at sticks in the six pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Um, make sure you hit us up on YouTube. Uh, we now have some TikTok videos out. So check us out on TikTok. Uh, we're on, you know, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you download your podcast, make sure you follow, make sure you subscribe, make sure you share with your friends. Cause we got a lot going on and, uh, yeah, we're looking for more listeners all the time. So that's it for episode 89 of the podcast. Be sure to tune in next week as we hit episode 90.